Welcome to the Accessible Yoga Podcast, your weekly source for questions and answers around equity in yoga, hosted by Jeevana Heyman and Amber Carnes. Join us each week for powerful conversations with thought leaders at the intersection of justice, knowledge, and practice. Welcome to episode 12. I'm your host, Amber Carnes. This episode is the first in a series about making asana accessible for all bodies. In part one, Jeevana and I dig into the ways that physical practice is centered in Western yoga culture. We talk in detail about the other parts of the practice that are often ignored in most yoga and wellness spaces and the role that asana plays in our yoga practice. We also talk about a simple mindset shift that prepares you for adapting almost any asana. We'll dig into some practical tools here. This conversation invites us all to investigate the misconceptions that we hold about changes in the physical body and how asana can support us through those changes. Hope you enjoy this conversation. Here we go. Hey, Jeevana. Hi. Hey, Amber. How are you? I'm doing all right. How are you? Um, I don't know. It's like a weird question. Yeah, I know. I know like, I'm doing all right while the world burns down and everything is... Bananas? So much going on. My well, my my oldest son moved out. Um, you know, so so we're we're actually um, what do you call that? Uh, empty nesters. And oh my, man! my daughter is in uh, residential treatment, which I think I've talked about briefly, and um, and my son's nineteen. He moved out. So I mean, which is great. You know, I'm excited for him, but it's just so weird. <sighs> Yeah, but it is weird. How many years since you've been alone in the house? I mean, as it 19, 19 years. Yeah. He's, he's 19. So ever since he was born, we've had kids around and, um, and then teenagers. But yeah, it's kind of, um, I kind of fantasized about it a lot before. <laughs> but now that it's happening, I'm like, wait, it's so quiet and lonely. Aww. But, um, but I'm, I'm, I know I'm going to enjoy it because I, I really, you know, I like to be alone. I like space. So it's good for me. Yeah. Um, well, and although I have to say like parenting's amazing and also horrible. <laughs> That's what I've heard. <laughs> yeah. Duality. We'll have to do an episode about, about that sometime. Parenting? What? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not with yeah. me. I don't have not any with you. experience okay. there. I'll do it with someone else. <laughs> I've been parented, but not parented someone. Anyway. Well, because like I usually, I'm usually jealous of people that don't have kids. So now I get to like pretend I don't have kids for a while. There yeah. you go. <laughs> All right. Well, you want to jump into the topic du jour, yes. as it were. So we were talking about um, doing a, a podcast about adapting asana or making asana more accessible. Um, I know you. Uh, you said you've had to sort of like reintroduce yourself around this topic recently. So do you want to talk a little bit about why you wanted to go over this and, um, and why, maybe, yeah. what the role of asana in, in yoga anyway? Yeah, that, that's it. Actually, that's what I'd like to talk about. Definitely that piece. Like what's the role of asana and, and yeah, how do we, how do we make asana accessible? And I, I think, um, yeah, the reason I wanted to bring it up is that I know that I, I've been posting so much about, um, social justice and a lot about politics and and I realized that I don't post about asana very much I tend to share other people's posts about it but I I think because I've been teaching accessible yoga for so long that I kind of sometimes I I just assume people know that part of my work do you know what I mean and then um, 
I think it can be helpful to kind of go back and give my perspective and actually yours. I mean, I'm really interested in your perspective too, but on, on the topic of asana, which is really what most people think of when we think, when they think about yoga. Um, Yeah. So I guess I I think the first thing is that um, it's, it's still connected with social justice to me and ableism and, and fat phobia and, and all that stuff. Like, I think that's, that's still my way in um, to asana, and um, but but I would say that it's so so I guess I mean it's more than just how to adapt the poses to me. Like next, making asana accessible isn't just about like teaching adapted forms of the poses. There, there's actually like there's a philosophical basis for making asana acceptable accessible which i think um is about making yoga accessible which is something i think we've talked about a bit here yeah Um, yeah Yeah, definitely i mean i think if we are if we are yoga teachers if we're teaching human beings then we have to be able to know how to apply those teachings to all the different kinds of human beings we might come across like i think to do otherwise is really to ignore the the teachings about our interconnectedness and our humanity. So, yeah, mm. definitely. Yeah. And also because, you know, yoga is primarily a physical practice in the West. So looking at asana is important because that's what mostly we're doing. Uh, when we talk about asana, uh, when we talk about yoga, that's what most people think we're going to be doing. Mm-hmm. If you go to a yoga class, you expect to be doing movement and poses, practices like that use the body. So I feel like we need to really talk about that. So, so what do you think? So what do you say these days when people ask you about asana? Like the role of asana in a yoga practice? Yeah. Yeah. The role of asana I mean, in yoga. I, I think it's good to sort of have the awareness about why asana, um, why these like the physical part of the practice is so centered in the way we practice yoga in America um, or in the West, I would say, because we have to look at, you know, patriarchy and capitalism and diet culture and like the ways that um, the body and the mind are viewed as separate things, right? So that gives us like a little bit of context. Um, but yoga is not an hour long stretching class that we do together, right? It's like, it's more than that. Right. And it's about the body and the mind and the spirit and recognizing that none of that's separate. So to me, like the yoga is not the poses. Asana is not the whole system of yoga. The poses are important. The poses are part of the tradition. The poses are a tool, a tool for us to uh, come back home to our bodies in a culture that has divested us from the wisdom of our bodies, that's taught us that our bodies are projects to constantly be improved upon or problems to be Mm. solved, right? That ranks bodies by hierarchy, right? Like all of these things that have alienated us from our bodies, Um, and, and so yoga is really about this journey of turning our attention inward. And I think that starts with the body, right? We have to start with our physical form and bringing the awareness there, because for most of us, when we, you know, unless we have some type of embodiment practice from the time we were a kid, right? Most of us don't have that way of connecting with our bodies in this, like, uh, place of inquiry in an exploratory way, in a 
a way that's centered in the body, that the power is centered in the body, right? When we interact with our bodies, we do things to our body to change it or to fix it or to control it or to adorn it or whatever. And so I think the asana are really Mm. amazing and beautiful ways of us being able to like bring our awareness back inside the physical body and then use that as a place to explore that mindful awareness off the mat or with our minds or in the other aspects of the practice. And so to me, asana is just like the beginning of that journey because as we start to turn inward, then we can do that self-study. Then we can work with the breath. We can work with the mind in meditation or concentration techniques or like all the other parts of the practice. So like asana, I think, are amazing tools for exploring the body and getting to know it and sort of like making friends with your body in a way that's not this lens of expectations from society about what it's supposed to look like or that connects uh, its worth to its ability or its productivity. It's really about this sort of like curiosity and Mm -hmm. presence um, and awareness. So maybe I'll stop there. Yeah, Yeah, no, I, I appreciate all those things that you're saying. I think, I think the reason I'm, really wanted to talk about this more is that it feels like such a paradox to me because it's like we're saying the body is important and we're going to focus on movement and really explore asana in detail and, and connect with our bodies and be grounded in the body. At the same time, I feel like there's, in yoga, there's this kind of, um, there's this, I don't know how to say this. We want to stop identifying with the body actually in yoga. So there's kind of this, what feels like a paradox Mm -hmm. to me that we have to really work on the body in yoga. We have to be in the body to, um, to expand our consciousness. Actually, we have to, we use the body, um, in that process. And yet we're, we're trying to move beyond it. So it's like, it's hard to describe sometimes to me or for me, at least what asana really means because i want to value it i want to value asana and this um kind of it's it reminds me of um you know like um gardening or something it's like i get it i I use the body um the asanas are like tools to like dig and um you know you know because when you're gardening it's like really messy yeah and there's a lot of like manual labor Mm -hmm. um And then the result is something that's like aesthetically beautiful. Usually like you get this beautiful plant or this food you can eat or like, yeah, like a beautiful flower that you can smell. But the process of gardening is so like hands on dirty. And I, I guess I'm, I feel like there's that piece of, of yoga that asana is like the work, Yeah. you know, that's where you do the the hands on work of spiritual awareness of increasing spiritual awareness. And, um, raising our like consciousness actually about ourselves mm-hmm. so i guess the paradox again i don't know if i'm making sense but the paradox to me is that in yoga we're doing that work but i don't think we should we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that yoga teachings tell us that we're not the body that we're spiritual beings that have this temporary human birth uh, the body's going to die you know so the body's going to get sick as well and, and hopefully get old um, and have limitations. And so it's not about denying its physical nature, um, the fact that it can, will be sick or disabled, 
and get older, like without, it's not about that. It's not about perfecting the form. Um, it's just about, um, embracing that yeah. somehow embracing that, that physicalness of our human birth can give us this, like, it's like a pathway to learning more about ourselves and connecting with another part of ourselves. And that, I think that's what yoga really is. It's about connecting with our, um, consciousness the consciousness within us or spirit or god or whatever it is that's within us i mean yoga is a spiritual practice but what's so amazing about it is it's an embodied practice i actually think a lot of um indigenous spiritual practices are embodied like yoga which is why we're seeing like um you know african yoga um, there's a tradition there that's similar in africa that goes back i mean in egypt like way back of embodied spiritual practice that yoga yoga has and i think often western religions don't have um they don't have the embodied practice piece the part of like using the body as spiritual practice or using the body um, as a tool mm -hmm. in our spiritual practice does that make sense yeah, it does definitely um, so I, I guess what I, so I think the question really for me, when someone asked me about asana is what is your relationship to your body and how are you doing those? Like, and how does that relationship impact the way you're doing the asanas? Because I think that, like you mentioned earlier, if, if your practice is just, um, based on your cult, the cultural conditioning you've had of like, what did you, you listed off all the, the white supremacy, uh, patriarchy, yeah, what did you say? Culture, like, like all the, the diet culture all that stuff because i think then asana especially as it's um colonized in especially in the u.s i mean in particular but all over the all over the world um it becomes very much about performance and about extreme ability right. and like I, I i sometimes make the mistake of like searching the hashtag yoga <laughs> you know hashtag yoga on instagram like if you haven't done that in a while like if you're ready for it, do that. But like, you'll, it's you'll a be wild shocked. ride. It's it's <laughs> guard your loins, as they say. <laughs> yeah, like if you do that, like hashtag yoga. Like, what is that? You know, because to me, if if I looked at those images without that hashtag, I would say that hashtag should be, um, you know, gymnastics slash modeling, modeling or something. Exactly. Like. There's very little about it that feels like yoga to me. And that's why I think that this conversation is so important and also hard to have because, um, because it's com it's actually really complicated. You know, uh, those, there's nothing wrong with those amazing poses. And I, I don't want to shame anyone who can do like really physically advanced practice. That's wonderful. Like, that's great. But um, it's no better than any other practice. You know yeah, what I mean? Definitely. That's the problem. Like, that's the problem. It's, handstands aren't a problem. Handstands are fun, right? It's just, Handstands are a great way to bring awareness in your body. Maybe, you know, whatever the gymnastic poses are that we're talking about, but handstands are not yoga, right? And so, and we just have to be super aware that we are bringing the context and the conditioning that we have from dominant culture that tells us that your worth is equated with your productivity and your worth is equated with what your body can do which then informs us to say that like, okay, of all the yoga postures and practices and things that we could do together when we come together to practice yoga, that means the most 
intense physical prowess, the most complicated shape is the best, and all the rest is, you know, modifications or less good or whatever we were going to say about it, right? And so I think we just have to be aware when that hierarchy, like, creeps into and layers itself on top of this practice, which actually has nothing to do with hierarchy and has a ton of duality and both and and all the things that actually are opposite from this lens of hierarchy and worth that we're conditioned to have because we live in this society. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I learned yoga from my grandmother and I was a small child and she had practiced for a long, long time. And she was already, I I don't know, at that point, she was probably in her sixties and she continued practicing, um, you know, until close to near her death. I mean, she died, I think, around 86 or 87. And she was practicing at least till 85. And I, you know, and then she, I remember she was upset that she couldn't do some of the physical practice anymore. And I, I think at that point, I was already a yoga teacher. And I remember talking to her about it and just being, just being sad for her, because I just, I just knew how what an amazing yogi she was yogini really is the word but you know what an incredible practice she had for so long and how dedicated she was to yoga and spirituality and i know i mean i guess it's sad if you can't do something you've done before like i get that you know that you can grieve for that but i just felt like her yoga wasn't in those headstands that she did every morning and she was, her practice is so much more than that so I think that influenced me a lot, um, her, her process um, and watching her go through that, you know, as she died, actually. And, you know, and, and the years up leading up to that, letting go of her physical practice. And then when I started teaching, immediately I was working with people with HIV and AIDS because I was an AIDS activist. And, you know, my students, um, many of them were very, very sick and were dying. And similarly, I just I just saw that you know, advanced yoga is not advanced asana. And I, what I saw in so many of my students, like my grandmother, was just incredible wisdom and the depth of awareness and understanding that people were finding through their spiritual practices, including asana. And it just had so little to do with the physical form that they practiced in, but, but, but it was still important. Like the body is important. And People love asana, even even very sick and near death. I found students would still enjoy some movement. There was just something, you know, the body is meant to move. And and I think it's more than movement. It's To me, it's like energy. Like we, we want to feel prana flowing. That's what life is. You know, life is energy flowing in the body. And, um, you know, I think that that experience is advanced yoga advanced asana is being able to feel your prana flowing like matthew sanford you know who you know he's um partially paralyzed and he talks about feeling prana in his paralyzed legs and i just know i mean to me he's you know he's like a master teacher and i know that he he has that ability to experience asanas on this incredibly advanced level um Yeah. And I I think just maybe one more thing on this, and I know we want to like jump into some sort of practical tools around adapting asana, but, um, you know, I think that this 
you've been speaking about the like the paradox of you know you're not your body but also like we kind of are you know like it's the only vessel we have to communicate with the other beings on the planet yeah and so like that duality you know that shows (laughs) up and i think yoga and asana in particular is such an interesting tool like to me it's like Asana is the question that you get to answer with a body that is like guaranteed the only thing it's going to do is change. Like regardless of the way that society presents it to us that like, you know, once you achieve this perfect body, all your problems will go away. Like literally the only thing that we can count on is that our body is going to change. It's going to age. It's going to get injured. It's going to get sick. It might get stronger. It might get weaker. Like whatever it is, is not going to be the same. And so I think like having something like um, asana, like these physical shapes and the practices that we have to be able to explore it throughout Um, you know, bodies change from day to day. They change throughout the seasons of our lives. They change from minute to minute. Like when we do a body scan and then you do one again five minutes later, like you can notice how much has shifted, you know, Mm -hmm. within the yoga practice. And so I almost think that sometimes like asana is like that training ground for where we learn to accept the fact that our body changes so much. And like this fixed idea that we have that you can have a perfect body or even an, an able body or a young body or what, like it's all temporary. And so I think that is one of the tools that we're given to like practice with that, if it makes sense. Yeah. And it's not only temporary, it's also not the goal right. of yoga. It's not what yoga's for. You know, yoga is not about having a perfect body. Yeah. Yoga is actually, like I said before, it's a spiritual practice, which means it's actually about connecting with the part of us that's universal, that's that's uh, unchanging. I mean, that's what the teachings all say, like the, the Yoga Sutras, the Gita, they all talk about yoga is about connecting with the part of us that's not changing. And like you said, while well, everything else changes, that's actually, you, you've touched on really like, I think almost the definition of yoga um, is, is what is the unchanging. Yeah. That's what we need to connect with in, in our practice. And that includes in the asana that's practice. Right. Because like, I think that's where we explore that. We explore how the body changes, how sometimes it's stronger, like you said. Sometimes it's feeling weaker. Sometimes it's sick. Sometimes it's sometimes the energy is flowing. Sometimes it's stuck. Um, yeah, and I, and I think that to me it's like having a neutral relationship mm-hmm. with the body where we can let go of some of those um, kind of external forces of you know competition and um i don't know self-criticism that's what that's what i that's what i work on a lot you know like trying to let go of what those uh, the other voices are telling me i should be doing an asana and really exploring it in a more um personal interior way of of how is how is it that this body is going to support me in my um, spiritual awakening. I mean, that's what yoga is for, to learn more and more about who I am Mm -hmm. and why I'm here. All right, so we're talking way out there. I know that. And I want- No, I love this. I'm like, I want to talk about this all day. But yeah, we should do something like- I mean, I'm about to pull out the Gita (laughs) and I don't know if I should, because I think we should really, I think we should talk about like, yeah, like Nuts and more. Bolts. Let's do some um, practical stuff. Okay, yeah, so if for folks that yeah. are listening who are wondering about making asana more accessible, um, let's talk about that. Like, what are some strategies for making asana more accessible? 
whether you're teaching online or in person. Yeah. Well, I mean, to, to, to connect to the previous topic, like I, I do think having a philosophical understanding that we're not trying to perfect the body and therefore an, the asana will never be perfect, right? The asana is, like you said before, it's a question that the body will answer differently at any given moment and in every different body. I think that's essential. So the, to me, the first part about making asana accessible is to really shift our thinking about what we're doing. And I think that we've covered already. Then like when you're actually teaching, I think um, I think looking at why, like I always go to that. I always go to the why, why am I doing it? So like, what's the purpose of the individual practice? So we talked about the purpose of asana in general, but now say I'm looking at, um, I wanna make a pose accessible. I would look at why am I doing that pose? And it could be, from research, you could study <clears throat> the pose and like read what other teachers say, but also you could look at it in your body and experience it in your body and think about, well, what does that pose feel like for me? And what do I, what do I enjoy about it? What, what is the challenge there? Um, you know what I'm saying? So kind of look at like the benefits and the challenges. Yeah. So like, practice. can we talk about like and a concrete about, example? Yeah. So let's say you want to pick a posture okay. and then you can. You pick, because um, I always pick the same one. So, um, eagle pose, Garudasana. So we're going to try to adopt eagle pose. So okay. like apply what you just said to that. Yeah. So like for me, when I practice eagle, I mean, from studying it and teaching it, but also practicing it myself, I find that it's such an interesting practice. Like it has a couple elements that aren't in a lot of other poses. And one of the main elements actually in eagle is this crossing the midline. There's, there's this like thing where you're bringing like the arms and legs to the other side of the body, which I know is really good for the brain. And you don't see that in a lot of other poses. And obviously it's also a balancing pose. So there's like a lot of balance there, especially because the body's in this kind of weird twisted position. And then there's strengthening because you're standing on one leg. So to me, like those, those are the elements that rise to the top for me around Eagle. Like when I do Eagle, those are the things I'm usually looking at. Like, okay, I'm doing this crossing thing. I'm strengthening and I'm balancing. Okay. So we've um, answered. Oh, go there's ahead. Also, okay. okay. Oh, well, one last thing is like, I want to bring yes. in the animal. Yes. <laughs> like I really think that. That's important, like to me, is connecting with nature through the body. And like I think about eagles and birds and um, flying. And there's something about that pose that it doesn't feel like flying to me, but it does feel like I'm perched on a mm -hmm. on a ledge or you know what I mean, like a bird. Yeah, on and a kind wire. of like coiled up. Like there's potential energy in that pose for me, like that drawing in mm. together and sort of like you're like, you could spring to flight at any moment. I don't know. Like that's the sort yeah. of eagleness of it for me. I love like, I love this exploration as well. It's just not, not just the physical or like muscular energetic stuff, but like, what is the pose about? You know, like Tadasana mountain pose, like be the mountain, like those kind of like, what is the point of it? Yeah. So mm -hmm. I'm glad you brought that. Well, with eagle, like I like that, what you just said about <clears throat> potential energy. Cause I think when we have the arms crossed, one thing that can be really exciting in Eagle is to open them wide, open the arms really wide and like, like wings and then cross them again. And like that opening and closing reminds me of wings. I don't know whether flapping or the way birds can settle their wings down and they look so small mm -hmm. and then they can open them when they're so big.
something about that too. Anyway, so yeah, so we, we got those elements. Well, I was going to say, say okay, so we, we've um, decided like for today, this is, this is what Eagle is all about, these things. These are the points. So what do we do next when it comes to adapting the pose? Well, so then I would think I, I would look at um, how am I teaching it? Like what is the, what is the technique I'm using to teach? Um, I use language, I use words, I use demonstrations, so I use visuals in my own body. Um, and then I would think about that, like how, how could I make that accessible? How can I find words that express um, the elements that we just brought out, like mm -hmm. the points we just made? How can I focus on those points in the teaching? Also, how can my language be inclusive so that people practicing at different levels, multiple levels can be um, together? And, and I'm, I, I, as you know, <laughs> I'm mm. obsessed with that idea that, that, you know, mixed, truly mixed level practice to me is what accessible yoga is all about. Like, I, I just, I am like on a campaign against levels <laughs> in yoga. Yeah. I just, I just feel like it's so, um, it's such a, it's such a hierarchy and it really speaks to the misunderstanding we have about asana. Like we spoke mm -hmm. about earlier, you know, about the competition part. So I love the idea of people practicing on mats and in chairs at the same time. So I would always look at wording that could help support that. Um, is that yeah, clear? Maybe, I don't know. Maybe so I'm talking about too many Can you talk us through that? Like, like, could you cue it as if you were going to cue Eagle in a truly mixed level class? Um, just give us some ideas about what that might actually sound like. Well, it's funny that you picked Eagle because Eagle is probably one of the easiest poses to teach Good. We'll class. start with the easy one. Maybe we'll pick a <laughs> harder one next. Okay. Because I just want to say, like, what I would start doing is actually prepare ahead of time, like in my mind. Well, prepare is something we'll be doing in a second in the class. But I'm saying when I, before I come to class, I would think of poses that are easier to practice in a chair and on the mat at the same time that where instructions flow together um, pretty well. And Eagle is at the, maybe at the top of my list because it, it actually can be done almost the same way sitting in a chair because actually the, the standing version that the one people think of is almost a seated posture, right? Where the mm -hmm. hips are in flexion and the knees are bent. So it's like very conducive to chair yoga. Um, all right. So what I would do is I would, like I just said, I would actually prepare, usually I prepare the students separately. So if someone's in a chair practicing and someone's on the mat, I would think of how is the pose going to look different in these these two different ways of practicing and how is the person on the mat going to be pre preparing like prepping for this pose versus the person in the chair and i would teach that part separately so i would prepare maybe in the chair first because especially the balancing pose it can be hard to stand longer so i might start with the chair prep the, the legs have someone cross the legs you could actually have blocks if you wanted so like sometimes it can be nice to support the raised leg. So if I had my left leg grounded, my left foot grounded on the floor, cross over there with the right one, or even crossing at the ankles, if that's more accessible, I could have my right foot on something like a block or something lifted to give a little more grounding. The other thing that's really helpful with grounding in the chair, if you're sitting in the chair, is to mm -hmm. lean forward. So actually, I would I would take I would hinge at the hips and really have that a deeper flexion in the hips moving the weight of the body forward and actually putting some weight into that supporting leg and engage the muscles as almost like a isometric strengthening practice. So if I'm on my pressing my left leg into the floor, engaging all the muscles up the left leg, 
um, so that there's some strengthening happening in that chair form. Across the, the right leg over, grounding it onto something. And then standing, I mean, I could almost do it at mm-hmm. the same yeah, time, to be honest. But normally I would do it separately. Yeah, for eagle, What's you could almost do it at the same time. Yeah, but normally with most poses, I would then separately do the standing and have that person, you know, come to start with Tadasana and then bending the knees and crossing. Again, it could be the same left leg, support, grounding down, lifting the right leg, cross it over at the thighs if possible, or even at the ankles too. Like you don't have to cross it that far over with your leg. Um, the focus again is that strengthening, being grounded, um, balancing. And so especially the standing person, I'd probably want them to work on um, balance. And actually everyone could do this part. Everyone could mm-hmm. spot with their eyes, you know, really use your eyes to help you with your balance. Um, so this part could all be together that we're spotting with the eyes, feeling grounded, breathing down into the left foot, and and then inhale, feel that lift and lengthen the spine, hinging forward at the hips, and the left knee is bent, right? Left knee is bent, hinging at the hips, and then work on the arms so that you can open the arms wide like wings, you know, wide apart, inhaling there, exhale, crossing them in front of the body, either way. And you could cross them so many ways you could have, you could hold one elbow with the other hand, or bring the backs of the hands towards each other, or you could hold a strap in the hands, um, or you could rest the hands on the opposite shoulders. You know, so I would give a bunch of different options for the arms to make it more um, accessible for different bodies. And then come back, I would come back then to the breath, to the energy, how is it feeling in the legs, grounding down. You know, balancing is a lot about grounding, right? So we have to ground the floor feel the lift and the strengthening in that supporting leg. Maybe work on the arms a little bit. I could, you can yeah, bring them out bring again. Maybe you bring in some of the inhale, cues open, about the eagle, the animal, you know, and freedom and flight and taking yes. up space. Like that's an opportunity to give a little bit of that inspirational <laughs> sort of fun stuff. Yeah. Flying, flying and grounding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, you get the idea. And then actually people can come out together often, um, which is nice. But one of the things that I think, um, I don't know if I said it clearly, is that in a, what I think of as a truly mixed level class, people are practicing together at some point. So that I I think what's happening, um, unfortunately, when people try to make yoga accessible, sometimes they'll say, okay, on the mat, you'll do this practice, do this pose. And then in the chair, you'll do this, you know, well, they'll say modification, which is a word I don't really like, but they'll say, you know, you do this variation in the chair. And I feel like it's two separate things. And so what I wanted to try to explain there was that you're actually creating a unified experience, even just for a moment in the room, um, which I think is important. The more we can feel like we're all practicing together, uh, that's where I think the yoga is happening yeah, definitely. Yeah. And then it feels like, you know, yoga is a, I think a personal practice, but we, we often do it in community. And so it really brings that community experience, mm. um, back in. And I think especially for marginalized students who are not centered in yoga spaces, um, that really is crucial. Yeah. It's crucial to create that feeling of belonging in your classroom because that is what makes people feel safe enough to actually, 
you know, be able to sit still and be with their bodies and, and, um, be able to, to do the practice. So it's, it's not an afterthought, you know, it's really intentional. It's intentionally different way to to teach this and guide this. Yes. It's really intentional. And also, um, you're not valuing the most physically advanced form over the others. And I think that's, that goes back to what we talked about earlier, that all forms have value, that every level of practice is equal and that there, it's about quality, yes. not quantity. <laughs> is that the word? No, but it is really about the quality of the practice that we want to help people you know, work on. A chair yoga practice can be incredibly mm-hmm. deep and profound. Um, right. It's not less than. Yeah, and I think this um, is a, you know. a pretty dramatically different way of introducing and cueing poses than most of us are taught, which is sort of like the default way of teaching is like, you know, you come into the most complicated form of that posture. And then if you can't take the bind, lift yeah. your arm. If you can't lift your arm, put your hand on your waist. If you can't do that, go home because you're a loser, right? Like that's like, that's what our brain hears, <laughs> right? When we organize it in this hierarchical way, that means like the real yoga is the pose with no modifications and all the rest is like a consolation prize. And so like this way of teaching where we're going back to like what is the essence of the pose or the practice? How can we find a way for our students to experience that in the bodies that they're in today and not, you know, some future day that maybe you can do the most advanced version and then you'll finally get into yoga heaven. Like we're, we got to think about like what we're communicating with the way that we're introducing and teaching these poses. Right. And so this one, like this way of teaching where, We go back to like, what are we actually trying to do with this shape, with this practice and letting us find um, a different way of introducing it where maybe we have different shapes or forms, but then we're all practicing together. We're all experiencing like the purpose of this physical posture, which is not to attain a shape or like a nail a pose. It's about the inquiry and the experience and the embodiment that happens when you're there and when you're asking that question like of your body with the shape. So anyway, I, I, I think it's mm-hmm. so important just to realize like the fundamental difference of teaching in this way is not just about the order we say the cues. It's really at the heart of how mm-hmm. we introduce this practice and the lens that we bring to it. Like, are we bringing this lens of conflating, you know, physical prowess with how advanced a person's practice is, or are we really looking to like what the yoga teachings actually say this stuff is all about? So. Right. And so we want to be focusing on the subtle aspects, like, are you feeling energy moving in the body? What's your mind doing? Like, where's your attention? That's, that's what practice really is, is working with the mind I mean, Patanjali defines asana, well, actually, it's interesting because in the sutras, there's three sutras on asana, and then that's the last one he's actually telling, no, the second one, he's telling you how to do it, how to do it. He says, you you basically, you try to get your mind to not be restless, and it's like working with that aspect of restlessness in in the mind, and meditating, by meditating on the infinite, he says, so that's how posture is mastered, and it's like, you know, so according to now, I realize people say, oh, well, he's talking about asana. Usually he's talking about a seated posture for meditation. But I still feel like he's talking to us about the connection between um, asana and yoga in general. And that has to do with 
the, again, the quality, what's happening inside, where's your attention, what's happening with the mind? Um, are you focused? Are you distracted? Uh, that's what yoga is about. And that's what asana is about. It's about, it's actually, asana becomes like, um, I don't know what the word, I would say magnet, like for the mind, but it's like, like something anchor. for the mind, it pulls the attention. Like an anchor. What? An anchor, yeah, like an anchor for the mind um, that can help to bring the mind to for the mind to settle uh, rather than to be dispersed to thinking about all the other things you have going on in your life this complicated pose in a way part of it is the complication is okay because that gets your mind engaged and you become kind of really interested in what is the sensation here what what is happening with the energy in my leg right now and then my torso what's happening with my breath and, um, you know, what, how can I like, and this is why it's so complicated because in a way, sure, you want to get better. Like, how could I do this better? But that's not, it's not really a matter of better in terms of how it looks, but better in terms of, could I be more focused? Can I actually be more comfortable? Can I be more, can my breath be more relaxed and energy flow more open? Can I be more open in this strange shape? And I, I think that's part of the essence of asana is to um, get the mind really, really, really involved. And and that's the meditative part. You know, yeah. that's where the power that's comes. The, that's the yoga part that makes it different from, you know, a that's lunge in strength and conditioning and a lunge in a yoga class. Right? Mm. Same shape, very exactly. different experience right. and it's intention. The mind. So it's, yeah, it's like, what's the mind doing? So uh, yeah. we're going to do a series of these podcasts about adapting asana because we're 40 minutes in and we've barely covered like one thing. <laughs> so <Okay>. I think, <laughs> what do you think about leaving it there for today? And, uh, or do you have any final thoughts that you want to add along any of the stuff we've talked about? Um, no, that's fine. We can, I, I am happy to talk about it at another podcast too. I have a feeling this is something that people like to talk about. I mean, Asana is so exciting, and I think it really grabs our attention, um, and that's that's what's good about it. But I guess I just think that um, just because something grabs your attention doesn't mean you need more, more, more. So I think um, I guess that what the takeaway for me is I want I want people to think about the why, like why they're doing the asana, and also like um, can can we focus more on the subtle aspects? Uh, something I always say is that like the subtle is powerful. The, the more subtle, the more powerful in yoga. It's like the opposite than what we think, right? Um, and so can we bring that into our practice, like to get deeper into those poses rather than do more, you know, go that. deeper. Yeah. But can we leave them with a question? I, yeah. I know that we what do that sometimes. I think I that's mean, that the was question. Kind of my yeah, question, that's the question. Right there. Like, sure. Can you? Yeah, I guess. Can you? Um, can you deepen the experience without making it physically more? So, like, can you go deeper into your poses without? And I'm, that's not about more physically yeah, or challenging. Or not like poses. the most sensation possible. Okay. Not that kind of deeper. Right. How do you? How would you say that? Oh, how would you ask um, that question better? You no. Can, let's see. You know I mean? I think it's just like I said, it's like quality versus quantity. So yeah, like like maybe just the next time you're doing your, your asana practice to 
the challenge I have for you is can you go deeper without doing physically yeah. more? What would it mean to go deeper in um, asana if it doesn't mean more sensation or more physically demanding? Like maybe that's the question to yeah. sit with uh, in your next asana practice. Mm-hmm. Or I, when you were talking about that, I had this sort of like image in my mind of, okay, if I'm in a posture, let's say like cobra pose or something like that, how can I make it like physically more easeful, but energetically bigger in my body? Like, how would I take up more space? Mm -hmm. Like you said, go deeper, but like, I'm thinking like, how would I expand it to make it a big pose, but not in a physical dimension? Like, oh, I love this. It's got my imagination going. Yeah. Thank you for that prompt. Yeah. And actually one, one teaching, one teaching that I, tool that I use a lot these days is to um, just imagine practice. So if people want to try this other uh, way is to rest in Shavasana and then do a pose just in your mind. Actually, one thing you can do is you can do it, do the pose physically with the body first and then rest and then do it again just mm. in the mind and see if see how you can compare those experiences. Um, that can be an interesting way to explore this idea. I think it's a slightly different experience, but it just shows the power of the mind in asana, uh, the power of our attention and the flow of energy um, that we're focusing on in yeah. the practice. Uh, these are some awesome challenges and prompts that you're leaving with, with leaving us with today. So thank you for that. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you. I love talking right. about it. Well, we're going to leave it there. Thank you all for joining us and we'll see you next week. Bye, Jeevana. Okay, bye. Thanks for joining us for another week of the Accessible Yoga Podcast. Please visit our website, AccessibleYogaTraining.com, where you can see what we're up to, subscribe to the podcast, and where you can get on the wait list for our next course here at the Accessible Yoga Training School. And surprise, it's with me. (laughs) I am bringing my Making Peace With Your Body weekend intensive online for the first time ever with the Accessible Yoga Training School. And the course is going to run from October 27th through November 19th of this year. Making Peace With Your Body is an online course in a community that explores body acceptance and self-image through the lens of the yoga teachings. We'll discover how the practice of non-attachment, a justice-focused analysis of why we're so messed up about bodies in the first place, learning to manage our minds, and getting access to meaningful community can completely transform our relationship to our bodies. If you're sick of the negative self-talk loop that plays in your head on repeat, I call mine the mean girl soundtrack, (laughs) come join us. We'll learn techniques to shift our thoughts from self-loathing to radical self-acceptance. We'll also have space for movement, breathing work, meditation, reflection, and self-study. This course will be an interactive time of self-discovery and transformation. We're going to discover ways to boost confidence, come home to our bodies, and sharpen our minds to work toward equity and justice for all bodies. The waitlist is opening soon. You can go to accessibleyogatraining.com slash emails, and we'll let you know as soon as the waitlist opens for Making Peace With Your Body. I hope we'll see you there. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, give us feedback. We really, really value it, and we can't wait to hear from you. We'll see you next week.